Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. episode 101 you are here for the next century the next century of shows so welcome i'm joel and i'm ryan and we're super thrilled to have you back today hope you enjoyed our little trip down memory lane last week oh yeah um that was uh that was fun but now we're getting back to the serious business of listing stuff of (laughs) yes of lists and talking about important things that make us happy um but of course uh we are super uh fortunate to have a a group of friends who like to do this with us mm-hmm. and um for today we are we, we have a very special guest who has very specific she has a very specific set of skills <laughs> and uh so we are going to welcome our dear friend miss Dana Delval! We got a little clip of your headshot there before we saw you. That was neat. Yeah. Wow. Nice music. Yes, because today... Today, of course, we're going to be talking about the works of Miss Jane Austen. I'll I'll drink out of my mouth, but I'll put my pinky up. Very sad. I meant to get a good teacup. Yeah, I, I briefly looked for a, a good teacup too, but then I'm like, this is not going to hold nearly enough water for me. Yeah, I was going to wear a high collar and a wraparound tie, but it turns out that's a look you can't really just manufacture out of your own closet. You got to have uh, the goods to do that. To be I, fair, I, I was looking too for something to wear and had nothing. I had, to, I did, I, I did, and I, te- I put on an outfit. I tested it on camera, and you really couldn't tell. Um, what I was doing, it just looked like um, I was in like this pink and red plaid sausage casing. Um, I'm sad. That, that. Yeah, because it was like, oh, I'm like, oh, hi. There's several chins, and um, and then I also realized because last week I dressed up for the hundredth show, and then I'm like, I, that, you know, I thank you, thank you, and thank you for sending in such a, a lovely, nice message from from you and Dr. Mass. That was awesome. Um. But yeah, then I realized I could be setting a dangerous precedent for myself where I'm going to feel like I have to dress up for every episode, and that is just not something I'm willing to do. That could um, have made your previous Zardoz conversation with Dr. Mary a really interesting episode. It could have, yes. I would have just sat here and and been... I was dressed up in Zardoz garb for that show, but it's just, that's kind of from a waist down type deal. <laughs> so you guys didn't really get to experience that. The most interesting part, for sure. Yeah. Are there Zarda. sheep in the background? What's that? Are there sheep in the background? Oh, is that squeaking? I believe that's my hard drive. 
Yeah. My computer's getting really old, so so like, pretend it's like well, a, a caged bird or something well, you that's may have, I was, appropriate. I was playing. I was playing the. That's what I heard. Oh, okay. I was playing a little Zardoz. To, uh, oh, that was very immediate. Well done. Uh, so uh, yeah, um, playing yeah. a little of that to remind people of the wonderful time we had with Dr. Mary, who sends his greetings, by the way. Nice. Yay. Um, so today we are going to be talking about the wonderful works. The, the he's cinematic... not off the hook, you know. We're gonna have him. Back. No, we'll have him again. It's yeah, happening. He's... He can't wait. You've awesome. made his whole life. You topped all of his other career endeavors by allowing him to talk about movies. That's so sad for him. It's good. <laughs> well, maybe when we do, is it is it sad for him or is it sad for us that this are our career endeavors? Yeah, that's true. That this is yeah. Uh, when we have our deep dive into the movie Victory, or as he probably grew up with it, Escape to Victory, oh, the soccer sure. movie. Sylvester Stallone and Michael Caine yep. and Pele, uh, and Pele. We'll, we'll have him on to do that deep dive and Max Fonsito yes indeed right. um, and Bobby Moore and Osvaldo Ardiles and, and a bunch of uh, uh, French Soren people Lin Soren Lindstead yep. um, but, so uh, yeah so today we are going to as, uh, as the music uh, is a portent of we are going to be talking about the cinematic adaptations of Jane Austen, brilliant author, and uh, and Dana has Dana. Tell us about uh, tell us about your love of Jane Austen and how like how far back does it go? How you know? I mean, clearly it's it's deep, it's um, it's river deep and mountain high. Um, so how? Wow. that's a lot of pressure. Um, oh, just tell me about tell tell us tell us a little bit about uh, about your love of Jane Austen and 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 how what how how your life you know how she fits into your life and her work. my life is richer for having Jane in it correct yeah um so I can tell you that uh, the my first encounter with Jane Austen was probably uh, twenty three years ago um, and I rented the Colin Firth, Jennifer Ely, Pride and Prejudice from the library. Did not know who Colin Firth was, that was but that was quickly remedied. Mm -hmm. um, and then because I loved the miniseries so much, I, bar I got the book out of the library and I was living in the top of a old apartment building and I had a little portable washing machine and dryer and the washing machine had stopped filling. So I had to use an attachment from my vacuum cleaner that I would hold from the faucet into the um, bin of the washing machine for the water to run in. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time. So I, I read Pride and Prejudice while I was doing laundry. <laughs> um, and what I loved about it was having seen the a version of it first, I, she's, you know, she's a complex writer, despite the fact that so much of her content is relatively um, frivolous and, and very feminine in, in the sort of truest sense of the word. It would have been all she would have been able to construct during the time period. And uh, in spite of that, she's a very complex, smart writer. And I just was so grateful to have seen a version of it because I think I would have struggled a little bit with it had I done it the opposite end. I admit so, I've never I've never made it through a Jane Austen book 
ever because it's too yeah. much. The prose yeah. is too much for me to really latch onto it in a way that I'm comfortable with. Yeah, it's, it's not really it's a, a criticism. Really, it's just the reality of it. It felt more like a failing of mine than hers, but still. Yeah, it's very. It's a very um, interesting sentence structure, and I remember seeing an interview with Jennifer Ely, who interestingly, Dr. Mary went to college with. Nice. Um, Get out. That's and cool. she and I have the same birthday, not the same year. She's a little bit older than I am, but they're the same age. She and I have the same birthday. Um, but she talked about how unbelievably complicated it was to learn those conversations because again, Jane Austen's sentence structure is just off kilter enough from the way that we speak today that it, it's almost like if you try to translate a French sentence with using the American sentence structure, it just doesn't yeah. work. So she's, she's just a compelling writer to me. And then, uh, and then I sort of just dove in and have kind of never looked back and then you know she's she's sort of in love with everything I'm in love with afternoon tea and um you know she would have been um a highly acerbic way too opinionated what's the matter with you why aren't you married you're very poor you're kind of plain how about you don't talk anymore version of three centuries ago that I feel often like I am today so I feel a great affinity towards her despite not being anywhere near as clever as she is. I, I, I'm not saying to you, I liken myself to Jane Austen. <laughs> I don't liken myself to her in the, in the literary sense. Uh, she's, so she's almost uh, sort of like a, uh, a um, um, oh my gosh, I just was think, thinking about it. She has the, uh, there's a Netflix special, Martin Scorsese, Fran Lebowitz, uh, sort mm -hmm. of a, a Fran Lebowitz type of writer who just has an acerbic wit and, um, it's a Netflix. It's a Netflix series. Uh, no, I know who Fran Lebowitz is. I'm just. Yeah. I, I I'm haven't. Not, I'm just saying. Hi, I'm just saying. Highly opinionated. Yes. Uh, acerbic and just be like, okay, you're done talking. It's my turn now. Um, yeah, and, and strong opinions about everyone, yeah, yeah. and almost upon their first drawn breath. Right. Which you know. Yeah doesn't work for everyone it doesn't always work for me but i certainly have that quality well it's funny because we'll get into it here in just a sec but the the lessons of her work bear out the pitfalls of that yeah so it's funny that mm -hmm. she's like yes. that but she can have her mind changed but you you have to work yeah. at it you have to yeah. you really got to be you got to be yeah. up to the challenge of changing her mind which is not yeah. always the easiest thing to do for sure so if yeah, i relate to jane in any way it is that. It is that okay. making up your mind very, very quickly. And if you're going to be like that, you really do have to be somewhat pliable and be able to change your mind or you become a very rigid, bitter person very quickly. Sure. So. Yeah, I am similar to Jane Austen in that I am incredibly frivolous. You're more like Fran Lebowitz, I think. I'm more like Fran <laughs> uh, Are we going to play a countdown I sound? I think we should play. So yeah, so we are going to do a countdown of our top, I had been calling this, To Air is Human, the Jane Austen experience. Ten, kind of a Bronte nine, Austen mission. Nine, eight, seven, seven, six, six, six just, five, That would really offend Charlotte Bronte. Charlotte Bronte thought Jane Austen was one, completely. One, it is one. Uh, but anyway, so okay, we are going to uh, do a countdown of the top Jane Austen <laughs> cinematic adaptations. 
We're doing top five competing adaptations. Me and Dana okay. are going to go at it. Okay. Just so everybody understands what I we're doing. Mm -hmm. why, why we're talking about every single Jane Austen book twice and sometimes three times. <laughs> I thought we <laughs> that were is gonna... why. <laughs> are you going to play the sounder? I just did while you guys were talking. And I, oh, I didn't know that. Song. Okay, well, that's, that's So funny. if Dana it's said anything I... particularly clever in the last minute and a half, you might want to repeat it. Well, I mean, we know for certain that I did not say anything clever. I think we can bank on I didn't either. All right. Cool. Um, all right. So we are um, we are going to start off uh, at number five. We will be talking about Mansfield Park. Uh, Mansfield Park, of course, the uh, the third published novel by Jane Austen, um, and we are going to uh, talk about the 1999. Let's first talk about the 1999 adaptation of Mansfield Park. Dana, tell us about the Mansfield Park of 1999. Okay, so uh, it's interesting because these, these two novels that are in the top five are the least, I think, celebrated of her work, fairly or unfairly. They're my least favorites. I think fairly. Um, yeah, I, I do too, but I, mean, I know- that's, that why they're, that's why they're here. We're only on Mansfield right now, but I think fairly these are right kind of where they belong. <laughs> The rest of our list, I don't know that the quality of the novel goes with the quality of the adaptation all the time, which is an interesting thing. What yep. both Dana and I agree with is that the Mansfield Parks adaptations, there's a BBC one of more recent vintage, and there's that end of the height of the Jane Austen revival in the 90s version of Mansfield Park with Francis O'Connor back in 99, which are both bad kind of in a way. And I, I've never read it, so I really only know Mansfield Park from these movies and i really only know the 99 one and it just yeah. it doesn't it really doesn't grab you somehow it you know i think um fanny price is just not that interesting a character in some ways she's too good yeah and part of what makes jane austen's characters so much better than almost any other women characters from age, the era right She's one of the early women writers of her era, yep. but B, they're they're flawed, and that's what makes them compelling. They are they have to learn some lessons, which is true of life. Fanny is so good; you sort of feel that she belongs more in the um, Tessa the D'Urbervilles kind of era, which is a similar time period. But um, you know, women like like in Tessa the D'Urbervilles, I realize that's not by Jane Austen, but she gets raped. And she spends the rest of the novel saying, oh, if only I hadn't lured him in. And it's just crap like that. And I feel like um, Fanny is a little bit too, too churchy like that. I just, I don't find her compelling. And so I don't really care about the novel or the adaptations, despite the fact that I've seen both films and I've read the book. Right, in the novel, she gets uptight about every little thing, which doesn't endear to us very much. And in the film, there's this, although it's it's hinted at in the novel, is my understanding, but the film takes on the slave trade debates of the time, and it just takes it on directly, which in that sort of a story... Feels it, weird. It feels weird. It, it doesn't. It's not bad, per se, but it, it feels weird. It feels... Uh, tonally off with what you're supposed to be feeling when you're going through these humanity lessons when they get geopolitical they do it really does make it feel odd which was i think a decision of the filmmakers at the time so and we're agreed that the the later what's the other year that they adapted mansfield park the bbc uh tw 2007 uh billy piper uh was that's even worse 
That's such a bizarre casting. Yeah, because I mean, even that movie doesn't even have the ambition. At least the first one's trying for something, and you get a sense of it even if you don't dig it. This yeah. this movie's just like it's it's a fastest ninety minutes, and there's a few ninety minute adaptations on here, but it's the fastest ninety minutes. It feels like the greatest hits of the story performed by a really bad group of players, and they're not all bad. So I sort of Billy Piper's not the best, but but. She has her utility too. She's not a terrible mm -hmm. actor. She's sort of terrible in this type of thing. Yes. Yeah. She she clearly it was it was riding high off her, you know the her. Yeah, she was wanting to do something Doctor. different. I, I yeah, sympathize with that. After coming off of Doctor just, Who, and and she had the she had some clout and and came on and. She's not good in it, but there's plenty of people who should be good in it. There also aren't great in it, so it's. Well, you know. <laughs> the guy who plays the father is a big time legitimate mm -hmm. actor i can't tell you for a million dollars or one what I'm his not, name is i know yeah. exactly what you're talking about but it's not yeah. coming to me right now he's he, you i'll i'll never know it but anyway I, it doesn't he, in this case it doesn't matter we got plenty yeah. of joel's gonna have to look up tons of actors for us here as we go forward. well uh, what's the name of the of the father is it is it sir Tom, who's is sir thomas bartram yes uh that's douglas hodge he's a but that actor. but that 2007 version also feel uh, uh featured james darcy uh yeah. Haley atwell was in that yeah, exactly um, she's great rory kinnear great. was in it uh yeah lots i mean it was she uh, would have made a decent enough fanny i guess she doesn't look the part but she at least is an actor who can do the job that's absolutely yeah. when i think about that version i think about um lighting i feel like that whole thing was like how sometimes movies feel like they're all around hey we can do this super cool effect on the computer that film feels like, hey, we could do this super moody lighting. Yeah. The only scene I ever think about, what I think about her running down the stairs, which always feels weird, and the scene where they're doing the kind of pantomime theater in yep. that yep. big space, and the lighting is all weird, and it just feels like somebody thought, oh, it's awesome lighting. And that's <laughs> an interesting film to me. <laughs> um, so... That, is that would that be the big the biggest criticism though against Mansfield Park as a story would be that that Fanny's a little bit, um, a yeah. Little bit well, that and it, it the structure is not the same. The, the tension doesn't come from the same place as a lot of these others, where you really are wanting to know there really is a some core relationship at the center of the thing that, that you're that you get invested in one way or another. That happens in Mansfield Park, but to my feeling, and again, I've only seen the films, but to my feeling, it it that in that story feels inevitable, and because it does, it becomes a secondary thing, and and that to me, that's the whole ball. That's why I come to these, you know. Yeah. Um, there's various reasons, but that's the main reason you 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 really do invest in people, and I don't have a problem with Fanny. I think she's cool, but it's it it becomes not about that. It becomes about all the side stuff, and that stuff isn't super interesting in in Mansfield Park either. The just the, the the scandal of the play, for example, like to me as a modern audience, I, that meant something in the time. So I don't mean to diss on it, but you don't. Neither of these versions, they both tackle that, and neither of them managed to pull off communicating what exactly that is to us in a way. And it, it's mm -hmm. a challenge. If it wasn't they wouldn't both struggled with it, but they do, yeah. and that's a, that's that's again that's a side story. It's a side act in the play, but it's it's a big deal in that book, and I just I'm, I still deal. don't really get it. I don't feel like it's explained in the book 
either. <laughs> it's so, something from it, that t time that you just, right. that everyone would have understood and that we just kind of don't. And right. the adaptations should be doing the work for us and they're just, they aren't. It's comedic and fun. Both those sequences are fun in the both of them, I think. But but what the issue is around it, I don't understand. So it's, it's always been a little weird. But we shouldn't spend too much time on those. Yeah. We want to talk briefly. So, the ones we hate. Yeah, so yeah, the other one that uh, number five is uh, Northanger Abbey. Yeah. Which was uh, uh, another, you know, another adaptation that uh, and ITV did a, uh, did a version of it. Well, and, it, and um, it's important to say, because we're going to bring his name up a lot, but Andrew Davies adapted this for the okay, screen yeah. and it's i don't when do you know dana or do you know joel when it, in her writing did this happen was it early and she used a pen name when it was released when did uh, she write she, it she it, it was it was uh uh 1817 and well, that's um the year she died uh, let's see. It was coming of age novels. Uh, it was completed in 1803. The first of Austin's novels completed in full. So actually, it was the first. It was, so that it's but it, it was published uh, posthumously. Right. It was right. published with persuasion after she yep. died. Gotcha. You know, I so. the thing that so I have not read Northanger Abbey, but the thing that I know is true about it is that so so Jane Austen had access to her father's library at the first um, house that they lived in. So he was a minister, lived in a, they lived in a somewhat rural part of England, um, but he had a really extensive library because he had a kind of a boys school and they boarded with them and all of this stuff. And for whatever reason, he allowed both Jane and Cassandra complete access to his library. So she was super well-read. Mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of thriller books were a huge huge thing of the time they were gothic you know, thriller um, books we were like losing your were really audio there for a second them. so let me gothic thrillers right yeah yeah yep. so girls were not really encouraged to read them because they would faint and it would yep. cause their hearts to palpitate and you know all that right. stuff mm -hmm. so in a, in many ways it's a play on the fact that she had experienced that and that as a family they sort of were like early, um, let's sit around the fire and tell ghost stories kinds of right. people. And so I, I just don't care about it at all. There's, don't care about it. Can hardly even talk about it much because I just... Well, just I, love, I love Northanger Abbey, the adaptation. I, I think it's really, really... Actually, I think it's kind of special, although I agree with what you're saying about the story. Compared to her other stories, the plot is linear and just it's very simple and... The, the girl is exceedingly simple in it, although I, I find her sort of adorable. It helps that in Northanger Abbey, the adaptation from 2008, 2007, 2009, somewhere in there, um, was Felicity Jones's first job, basically, first acting, acting job out of college. Right. And Felicity Jones is spectacular, and she's really, really good in Northanger Abbey. She has this thing she does, and... I have a big crush on her, so forgive me if I say this wrong. But uh, the thing she, a thing she does that's this really neat trick, and she still does it, although she uses it in all these weird and interesting ways. She's got, you know, Felicity's two things to me is she, she lets her eyes go blank, and she sticks her front teeth out. Her natural expression is kind of this sort of buck tooth blank look, and. <laughs> 
you know, and it, whether it's Rogue One or whether it's, uh, it's the the Stephen Hawking thing or whatever it is, mm -hmm. yeah. she she's got this look where when the other character's doing something, and especially if they're doing something dubious, she just lets it it all goes away, and you have to be like, what what's she thinking about? Like it's really mysterious and awesome, and in this case, she utilizes it as this girl just. What is she thinking about? She doesn't even know what she's thinking about. Like, it's kind of perfect. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I wish that adaptation, although I, we hate to talk about what we wish things were instead of what they are, but I, it's almost kind of brilliant if they'd have had... Davies is a brilliant ad adapter of Jane because he gets to the heart of things and he really knows how to pick stuff when he's got to abbreviate. Mm -hmm. And he's he just really judicious and very smart about what he does. But what he doesn't do that some of the other writers here will do is he absolutely does not have the balls to just do her, just do make up his own scene, do his own thing. That almost never happens in any of his stuff. I really think if this girl's carried away by these Gothic novels, by these ghost stories, she gets herself into real trouble and gets in the way of her own happiness because of it. I wish more was made of her investigation when she gets to the Abbey. I think mm. I think her her coming out in society way too young for what any of us should be comfortable with as a modern audience. Um, I think that's all played rather brilliantly, so I don't change any of that. But I do wish that I wish I wish the film would flirt with us a little bit with what's going on in her head, so that we almost buy into it a little bit before it kind of all comes crashing down. And it ends very abruptly. But other than that, Northanger Abbey, while, a, a, like I said in our notes to each other, it's a slight novel for sure. Uh, but that adaptation, compared to these Mansfield Park adaptations, which is probably a better novel in most m measurable ways, that, that adaptation is fantastic. It's really, really a good version of Northanger Abbey. So mm. at, at least I can go to the, up to the bat for it in that way. Yeah. Also, an early uh, one of the early appearances by Carrie Mulligan. In yeah, that. who's great in it, and everybody's really great in it. But M Mulligan's really great in it. You know, Mulligan, if she were just a few years younger, and that would have had the lead in that. As it yeah. is, she plays the uh, she plays her sort of adopted friend in Bath, yeah. where they all get in so much trouble in Bath, don't they, Danny? Bath is so naughty. Yeah. So she's her friend that sort of adopts her and tries to manipulate her in Bath. And our hero is, is even though she's confused and all these things she's very honorable and she kind of comes through i awesome. think so and i'm move. truly heartbroken when she thinks she's lost it all and she kind of has to tell her mom it, it's, it's oh, yeah. you know i'm I, i'm actually very affected by that every time i see it so i really think northanger is pretty cool i think her her uh relationship with her siblings and stuff like endears us to her in a way and but i just i also think felicity is magic and sometimes you get somebody that really is yeah you know what i mean mm -hmm. special and they they do there's more of it than what's there and i think that's cool too so all right, very cool. So let's move on to the next one on our list, uh, which uh, I mentioned. Um, uh, what Northanger Abbey was published with this uh, with this one uh, posthumously uh, is Persuasion. Boy, me and Dana really love Persuasion. I have to say, if this was a list of novels, right, this would be a lot higher. Oh, absolutely! It's it's my favorite of her story. It's my favorite novel. too. So yeah. it's weird that it's here at four, but I think these adaptations are both 
challenged in a way. I think it's yep. so. If the list is about that, you know, we'll talk. They're both great too. So we're not, they're yep. not the Mansfield Park adaptations. They're both awesome. Right. No. But in kind of different ways. Um, so I, I don't know. What, when were you starting out with? Joel? We're uh, starting out with yours, uh, the 1995 one that you by Roger and Michelle. Mm-hmm. I love, I love this movie. This was the second uh, Jane Austen thing I'd ever experienced. The first was uh, Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility. Oh, Sense and Sensibility. Um, and this, I, somebody, you know, this was oh, this is the same by the same people or something, which it isn't, but it, you know, it's Jane Austen. So I watched it and I, I just thought it was fantastic. Kieran um, Hines is spectacular in it. Hmm? Kieran Hines is spectacular. Mm-hmm. In yeah, it. yeah, he is. Uh, so let's just quick what it is, because not a lot of people, even people who know a lot of these, this is one they may not know as well. Persuasion is a story about this young woman who was, at a young age, was kind of fell in love with a guy who was sort of deemed by her family members and her advisors as to not be particularly worthy of her. And... But she was in love with him, and she sort of regretted turning down his proposal all these years. And he comes back into her life as a gallant, accomplished sea captain. And and at a time when she's really down and her family is really going through tough times. So it, it really is that all this happens before the thing even starts. And then, you know, we're thrown into this with her with her moving out of her childhood home, her mother's home, they keep referring to it as in both adaptations. Um, and it's just about her wishing, really, because she doesn't do a whole lot to... And she's never been good at this, and this is part of why she's in this predicament. She doesn't do a whole lot to get back in his graces, or she doesn't scheme or do really anything to get what she wants. But every other occasion when she's asked to do something she does exactly the right thing mm-hmm. and we slowly you know fall in love with her just the way i'm sure he did oh, oh, slowly but over the course of the thing by the end you really desperately want things to work out for her and the thing i love about roger michelle's version first of all i love uh, amanda root who plays uh, uh yeah. um, Anne in it the main character i just think she's she's such a, a common and approachable person. And I just find that I just find that that works marvelously. There's this wonderful sequence where all the members of her sister's family all confide in her about all their complaints. And it just kind of goes from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And she doesn't say anything. She literally says nothing in that entire sequence. She just sits there and they all just start do their thing that's the kind of person we're talking to. We all know people like that. And that's, there's no knock on people for being that way, but it, it, it's, it's just awesome. There's other things in it cinematically that I love too. Uh, like that sequence is one, the whole thing is told and the next version, it's sort of a contrast with that. Cause the next version is more like the novel. It's structured where your points of view are a little more spread out. Roger Michelle's persuasion is only from uh, Anne's point of view. You are you're only experiencing something if she's experiencing it. And when she overhears something, you just you barely overhear it. You overhear it, but you overhear it in a weird way where you're not sure what you really heard. The, the it, that tightness on that one character, while we miss some really cool things from the book, I suspect from watching the other adaptation, really works marvelously cinematically. Um, and 
I don't know, what's the other things I like about it? I guess that's, we'll let that suffice, but that's a mechanism, a cinematic mechanism that I really, really like. Mm -hmm. um, oh, the other, I guess, is she, there's a famous letter that she reads at the end, and even the reading of the letter is, it's, you know how when sometimes when you read a letter in a movie, it's it's read by the person who wrote the letter, and sometimes when you read a letter in a movie, it's read in voiceover by the person reading the letter that this letter is read by both of them and both there's times where she's reading it that she's speeding up and we're not catching what he's saying it, it's how you read a letter especially if you're really excited about something you know what i mean i well, i adore that sort of artistic choice and the the early version of persuasion is full of that stuff you know what what that version of the novel does I think brilliantly is it really um, it builds energy in much more likely ways of Jane Austen's actual era. Mm -hmm. So I really love the new version as well, um, in part because I think Rupert Henry Jones is really interesting, um, Captain Wentworth, and I like Sally Hawkins as Anne. Mm, me too. She's, she's got some odd kicks in that character, but well, um, Sally Hawkins is an odd tick of a actor. Yes. So she's yes. actually ex excessively restrained as Anne That's in that true. version from what I'm used to from her, but That's she's still true. a little bit of a twitchy person. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. But there's a lot of physicality in that movie. She does a huge amount of running. And I will say <sighs> I was just in bath almost exactly a year ago. Uh -huh. I was not running in no corset. <laughs> And in the 21st century. On the cobblestones. No way is she literally... She, the climax of the movie, not to spoil everything, is literally her sprinting from one side of yes. town to the other yes. and then back as soon and as she finds out yes. a certain <laughs> amount of information. Well, and it's... Captain Wentworth is like a time traveler in that one. He literally <laughs> leaves the house and she leaves the house three seconds later That's and right. he's on the other side of Bath. So yeah. I don't know. That's a weird edit. He's like uh, yeah. Jason Voorhees in any any uh, uh, horror movie where everyone's running and running and he and the killer's just walking, <laughs> and then it's somehow like ahead of them and behind a tree. Also, Rupert Penry Jones gets the benefit of the extra scenes that that my version of Persuasion doesn't have. There's this yeah. wonderful scene where him and his friend are. Uh, there's a couple of them, but there's one in particular yeah. in Lime on that Lime. stone dock thing that yeah. are. It's in both movies featured. Famously in both films, yep. um, it where he it, Joseph Malway plays his friend in in the one we're talking about, the later one, and that that conversation, it's very clever. The earlier persuasion finds ways to take the bits of that conversation and spread it throughout the other movie because they want to have that language and those lessons to be part of that. But that you miss that that the perspective of that character. I think Kieran is brilliant in the first one, which is why. I think it works anyway, because I think you really, I think Penry Jones is a very closed off actor and he's very kind of a mysterious guy. And I like that, but mm -hmm. he doesn't share much with us. Kieran, everything he's going through in every scene, you are, everything. you're yeah. right there with it. Every, and it's, so you get, even though you have none of his perspective yep. until finally halfway through the movie, they first look each other in the eye. The first half yeah. of the movie, they don't even look at each other. Nope. It's it's painful. It's agony. Yeah, and Anne is that goes back to my point, which is I think the first version really keeps with at least what we believe that era to have been about, which sure. is I will say nothing, and somehow I will convey everything, everything. or I will <laughs> I will run a marathon 
by reading this letter, right. as opposed to I will run the hills of Bath, right, which is right, just right. not, it's just not possible. So the, the <laughs> agony of nothing happening in the first film, I think really depicts the novel brilliantly. You know, Eddie Izzard's whole bit about arranging matches, mm-hmm. you know, that sketch. Yep. Um, Maz and I joke about that all the time because I, on one hand, I sort of adore arranging matches films. I mean, Jane Austen is an enormous arranging matches writer. Right. Yeah. Um, because that was the, her that was her experience. And I call it. I call them the "Let's marry the lords and ladies" stories. <laughs> it's not always the yeah. case, but they they often are. You know. Yes. You know. Yes. So nothing. And we're all like sheepdogs who just want to get everybody together, and we're not satisfied yeah. when they go into different rooms or something. You know, it's true. We can't keep track of them all. Um, But yeah, Kieran Hines' Hines' eyes tell you more than any four-page monologue ever could. He's not an actor who has played a lot of romantic leads, and he just is a stunning in that movie. I I agree. Although, again, that's no offense to Rupert, who does it differently and is also really, really awesome. Well, I think the big difference is Kieran Hines is not a um, traditionally stunning man and well right and amanda root even though even we've talked about hawkins but amanda root also not a she's you get why she's even amongst her sisters who are no great shakes she's kind of considered the plain sensible one and 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 to me that's crazy they're all beautiful you know they're all movie stars basically but you know it it does come it does play better i think in the first movie than the second one but i don't know if that matters so much in the end, I will say that the sisters, Sister Mary, I'll just give a shout out to them. We got to move on because we've got too many movies to talk about. But uh, Sister Mary is played by the brilliant Sophie Thompson in the older one. Oh, yes. And she is, she is, uh, she, and I, I got to talk about fathers too, I guess, because Mary is really her father's daughter. Yeah. And the two Marys are very much their father's daughter. And the fathers couldn't be more different. If we're going to talk about a contrast. Um, Corin Redgrave, who plays Anne's father in 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 the earlier Persuasion, Roger Michelle version, is this un he's this unaccountable, foppish sort of fashionista. He's just this worthless person with no practical skill, whatever. His goodbye to her is he does this. You know, and that's it. And then he kind of goes on into his carriage. He's, though, you get, first of all, you immediately get why they're in the situation they're in with him. He's ridiculous. Yep. But he's a much more pitiable and sympathetic character than the latter one. He, because he's, you really feel like he's just a, he's just a prisoner to his own issues, you know. He's a product of having been wealthy and born into the landed gentry. He's a baronet. He has no idea that you would need to be accountable to your budget. His behavior and the things he says and the things he takes issue with are are very powerful because he's the head of this family who even without money still there's consequences for all of them based on what he does or doesn't do. You know, which is hard because the way they, even in the opening bits, are are just everybody carefully trying to convince him that renting his property is his own idea, and that you know all that it's it's just really really well done. In the other one is played by Anthony Head, who's yeah, a really good actor, but Anthony, right? Yep. He just runs right at it. He's just sort of a mean jerk. Yep. And it. 
he's not the worst person in the world or anything, but he just, he's really frustrated with his situation and he just takes it out on all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, Sophie Thompson, daughter of Corin Redgrave, is this, eh, I'm so ill all the time. She's this drama queen and it's very entertaining and fun, even when it's really inconvenient in the story. Uh, Amanda Hale in the, in the Hoggins version, she's, she's a, She's really an awful person, and it's and it's unlikable. Amanda Hale is too. She she reminds me very much of our own Sarah Ross in her sort of the way her style of doing stuff and her sort of just command of language. I I, I love everything she's in, um, and this is kind of relatively small part, but it's it's just really interesting. It makes that second version a lot darker. The second version doesn't stop to have a lot of fun. We actually break into tears more often. We actually come to a boil more often. That can be cathartic. So that's a feather in its cap, but it's still a kind of weird difference between the two. Mm. Yeah, I All saw right. You. Okay. So if you want to watch Amanda ahead. Hale, be really awesome. Watch the White Princess miniseries. She's spectacularly good in that. Well, She's I haven't a, seen that. a force of nature in it. It's just stunning okay. to me. So, All right. Good actor. Sophie okay. Thompson's a great actor too, but she she's cast appropriately in this rather comedic version of the woman, and that we it's softer, and we're like, oh, she's just that way, you know, as well, opposed she's, to she's more like her Emma character, right? But right. not a, not as annoying as that, but nowhere near as sweet yeah. as that to mm -hmm. redeem her either. So right. right, right, right. Yeah. So, but yeah, but not all that different. Speaking of matchmaker movie or matchmaker stories, making a match and marrying all the lords and ladies, uh, and uh, <laughs> and also just right off of what Dana just said. Uh, next up, uh, number three movie is Emma, adaptations of Emma, of which there are a few. Yes. Um, so let's let's start with the '96 uh, Gwyneth Paltrow uh, uh, Emma, where uh, that was really that was that. Was that sort of Gwyneth's inter introduction to the to the to most of us? Uh, is that where how where did that fall in her? Uh... It was certainly, I think, her first major major role, at least that I can remember. Um, that you know, wasn't in also... a, a contemporary romancy comedy kind of whatever. She she'd done a couple of. Yeah, um, I, mean, I guess she, Seven was before that, and. Um... Yeah, she had done a few things. She was a named bone. person, but but yeah, but she hadn't carried a film. No, and she's this sort of Texas lady who you know it's like it's a weird mix for her to be thrown into a British film with all these British people. And yeah, but, you know, she can pretty roundly convince the world she might be from England. Maz and I have had no fewer than three conversations about the fact that she is not English; she's American. Right, and uh, exactly, and this version of of. Emma is directed by an American as well, Doug McGrath, who, you know, so that's interesting. There's an American bent to it, even though it's a super English movie. Well, there's also a super Miramax bent to it. I mean, it feels very packaged yeah. yes. the way them yes. at their high point certainly. Yeah. Ewan McGregor that. says of it that he, he wished it's the only movie that he's ever done that he wishes he hadn't done. And it, he said it's not well, a bad movie. Ewan McGregor. <laughs> well, yeah, he got to be Even, Obi -Wan yes, Kenobi. No, he's not going to have He makes the point. He makes the point that uh, he's been in worse movies. He thinks the movie turned out rather well, but he oh. sees himself in it, and he he just sees a guy who 
did it for all these non-story related, actor related reasons. He did it for all these career, sure. whatever well, reasons, and he just him, sees himself as being this sort of empty character, which yeah, the guy is. Given him better hair, even it might have helped. He has such ridiculous hair. It is ridiculous. <laughs> His even, line. He even says. He even says, "I was wearing the world's worst wig." Yeah, it's like in that, from a small college. Right. I mean, like we might have worn one of those in college. Yeah, and yeah. Felt kind of lucky about it. Um. But it's a no. lovely adaptation. It's got the storybook feel to it. It has an Academy Award-winning score by Rachel Portman, which is yeah, it's a beautiful, adorable, score. beautiful music. Beautiful opening. That illustration of yeah. that's um, a that's Housing. a Douglas McGrath I love uh, staple. That's in all of his all films. But yeah, yeah. Um, I I think there's a lot about this film to recommend. Uh, I think that it does a really good job with Emma and Mr. Knightley. First mm -hmm. of all, we should be uncomfortable with that age gap. They're 21 years apart. He's literally known her since birth. I mean, it's kind of a Michael Douglas, Catherine Zeta-Jones moment where you just feel a little creepy when they do come together. Yeah, but a little bit, but what he's, he's he, uh, although he's an old man for kind of the era, but he's, he's still young enough to be her brother or... Her, her father's yeah. son. You know, if you see what yes, I'm saying. Yes, it, yes. It, I, I get what you're saying, but it to me, a 40-year-old and a 20-year-old is like, I just look out the window and I can see that everywhere. Well, so yes. I, from a, I don't, I don't really object to that. I do get a little nervous when, when they send the teenagers out on the town and we're all, you know, like, and then and it's, <laughs> and it's tw late 20-year-old people hitting on them. Like, that's creepy to me, but. I don't. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying, I think this version, I think Jeremy Northam is really well cast as Mr. Knightley. I, I agree. Think he has, um, I think he has the gravitas of the, of the role that his character plays. Mm -hmm. I think he has the wit. I think he's got that great spark in his eyes yeah. that, um, you know, recognizes when things are ridiculous, recognizes how absolutely ridiculous Emma's dad is, but is never, ever, ever mean-spirited to him. Right. Um, you know, recognizes how preposterous uh, um, Elton, Mrs. Elton yeah. is. I, there's just there's so many preposterous... Mrs. El Mrs. Elton narrates the 96 uh, version right. of it, which is a fun choice, just worth mentioning. I, I for, and I just and it's a surprise. It, I, I mean, it's not really a surprise if you know Juliet Stevenson's voice, which I do. Right? Yep. But at the you don't find out that's who's narrating it until she literally turns to the camera and starts talking that's to you right. at the end of the movie. That's right. It is a very it's an interesting turn. It's clever. She's, she's really spectacular in that version because talk about another just Juliet is all time good yep. actor. So, wow. It's a bonkers. The whole cast is pretty bonkers in that yeah. '96 one. You it know, is considering what everyone's gone on to do with. You know, nevertheless <laughs> nevertheless ryan prefers the 2009 uh uh miniseries version of it let me find it here a four-part bbc miniseries yeah there's a lot of reasons i prefer it but the strange thing is that i prefer it for the reason dana doesn't really like it or won't won't, won't tolerate it much which is the main actor in it i think is the best ever screen emma that we've had i think kind of by a long shot she is she emma it, it, we require emma to be like we talked about kieran being she really has to that actor and gwyneth does a pretty good job of this but ramoa Garay 
shares everything with us. She shares everything with us. It's a little broad at times, perhaps. Yeah. It goes yeah. a little too far. She's the stage actor. Right. But it, 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 it's still ama It's still what's needed for that character, really desperately needed for her, that we're always tracking her reactions to things that are happening, whether she's being yelled at or whether she's being flirted with or whatever the hell is happening in the room. Somebody, other people are fighting near her, or, you know. Yeah. Uh, she just lets us in on that brilliantly. She's a little old for the role. Mm. She was in her she's in her early thirties, I think, when she played that role. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a Hamlet. Oh yeah, she'd given in tons of stuff before that. It's a bit of a Hamlet type performance, but but that works too because she really is a, to the more mature actor approaching this material. That's a little tricky, and a character that's that really is tough to to stick with and be sympathetic with all the way through. The other thing, great. There are other things that are great about it besides Romola, but. Um, it, first of all, it's a four-part, just like the original Pride that uh, Dana talked about. It's basically the full novel. They don't really have to leave anything out when they have four hours. No. So you really do get structurally the things they've had to edit. Characters that have been combined in shorter versions, are they're all there for you. You yep. follow all the relationships. Um, the extended families uh, don't just appear and say a couple things. They're, they're influence yep. and they're everything, you know. Um, Michael Gambone as her father too is compared to all other versions of Emma plays this part like a man who has lost what is dearest to him and is yeah. isn't just some quirky weird guy he is terrified of everything genuinely yeah. he doesn't he plays it with charm and everything and and he does he understand the actor is really brilliant so he understands the humor but he plays it with such pathos and the film allows the time for that to be there in yeah. such a wonderful way. And it really is the only, again, the only version of that character that I truly love that's in a screen version. Uh, I agree John, with you. I, yeah. I just rewatched it this week and, and had a much softer reviewing of it. I, of it, I yeah. don't particularly like her, but I think she's very good as Emma. Yeah. I just don't like her as an actress and I can't exactly tell you why. Um, I love yes. her. Yeah. I, she, um, Oh, I know it's what's the, uh, world war two movie, you know, where Saoirse Ronan plays her as a young girl and then she plays her as atonement. Yeah. I, I so despised atonement that it kind of ruined her. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> Atonement's tough as a movie. Talk about a movie adaptation. That's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And and that person, this particularly older version of that oh, character, bears yes. the brunt of all of the challenges of it, essentially. I, I agree completely. It's it all basically falls at her doorstep. Uh, but we, we don't want to get sidetracked. Um, no, Johnny Lee Miller, you want to say anything about him? He's pretty I great, like isn't him. he? I, you know what? Here's what I like about him. I don't think He's, he's an very earthier, accurate. like less clever version of the character, but... He's much more... Um, robust you know yeah. he's constantly sort of tripping down the lane and I uh, one thing I noticed that I really loved is that that walk he does from sort of the hedge into their house she's always at the window and you always see him coming <laughs> way before she does I right. loved that that's neat technique I thought it really worked for how often he was choosing to enter into her world I, th I thought there were some very smart, subtle directorial choices to that version. Um, 
and, and, I, and they had the benefit of time. The Emma has 12 endings. It's got 12 little things it's got to resolve, and all the short version of Emma have to do it in just a couple minutes. Yeah. This movie just says, the last 20 minutes is going to be this yep. stuff. And it yep. it's great. You get all of it, and you feel fulfilled by each and every successive payoff, which is the other thing I think the others don't have going, particularly the 2021, which is like, the ending is like, the, it's it's like a, a highlight reel of what the ending's supposed to be. You know, it's it, it's it's barely there. It's like the guys who made the trailer cut the ending of the movie. And I guess I know Emma pretty well. I've seen yeah. four versions I, I, of it. So when I watch that, I'm like, no, 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 you got to say this, and then you got to say that. And it's like this is too fast. Right? How you, yeah. this is the part yeah. you can't screw up, you guys. You know, you've already right. kind of screwed everything up a little bit. But this, if you just nail this, I'm gonna go. Yeah, yep, you know, absolutely. I'm still going to be happy. <laughs> absolutely. Mm -hmm. again, and they kind of didn't manage version. that. So The newest yeah. version felt to me, again, like what somebody said was, we have an incredible costumer and an unbelievable <laughs> scenic painter. Right. Let's build the script around mm -hmm. that. Because and the time to take all these wild tracking shots around. And I mean, it's really yeah. beautifully made. It's really, it's stunning. And it's so... Um, intense in its color and its palette which is really interesting but the whole thing feels like everything else is in service to that yep which is you know interesting but not compelling and i i kind of cannot for the life of me figure out what they did with knightley and he wasn't bad if you just pretend like the novel never existed <laughs> and right so, those young actors are pretty much okay but they you, yeah. But they all suffer by comparison, unfortunately. And that's, that's yes. at this point, you when you're making this movie every 10 years, I mean, you really, right. you got to do something new each time and just yeah. making the costuming prettier and the right. landscaping, Green. you know, it's like, that's not enough. You really got to have your own take on the story. And their mm -hmm. take on the story was, this is what happens in the story. And what, just what just it, to interject what, here, just yeah. to interject here, we're talking about the 2020 version, this yes. version that just came out, uh, that was directed by Autumn DeWilde. Yep. So, right, a woman, um, which I loved. Yeah, um, and adapted by a woman, right? Uh, yes, Eleanor Catton. I just don't know how. <laughs> it's it's it is weird, you know. That, and, that, Anna you know, Taylor that Joy too, who's the is... hottest actor in the on the planet. She, you know, she's a good actor, but she's. She's just not a very good Emma. She is in a lot of ways because you believe her impracticality and you believe her. Right. But she's a closed, she's like Penry Jones. She's this closed off right. thing. And yeah. Emma has to be open. She just has to yes. be. Yes. Or, because she's so confident in her own ability right. when she has no cause to be. Right. What I thought the new version felt like would be if they made a contemporary version of Emma and Emma was a freshman in high school. Well, you're not going to have Emma's civics teacher be Mr. Knightley. You're going to have a senior be Mr. Knightley. Right, exactly. And that's what it felt like to me. Right, Otherwise, sure. we're talking about pedophilia. Yep. And right, well, well, speaking of putting Emma in a high school. Why don't we? I think we, you know, we do have to talk about, uh, about Clueless. Well, we have um, to mention it. I don't know what there is to talk about so much, but. I think we have to talk about that. It's a pretty darn good adaptation. What just happened? Pretty good, good adaptation. Oh, I disappeared there. Did I disappear? Not to us. Okay, good. Something happened and my screen went blank. Uh, we have to, you know, I did. It's a pretty darn good adaptation of Emma. Uh, it in is terms of, in in terms of the of hitting those beats. It is. Um, it 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 
it, it is Jane Austen's plots are great. They are mm-hmm. really, really good. Even in even in Northanger, even in her simplest story, her the, her plot mechanisms are fantastic. They work on you in all the right ways almost every time in almost every adaptation. So I, I just feel confident saying that, even though I haven't read this stuff. That you know, <laughs> that's part of what I'm in love with in the movies. Each and every one of them is just kind of how they move and meander about. And that is in Clueless completely. That that part works brilliantly. But you do, you know, I, you, by by modernizing it, you do sort of make it a little easier on yourself in in a lot of key ways. Even mm-hmm. though, because you really are telling your own story, you're just sort of, right. you know, like Lion King what? is Hamlet, Clueless is Emma. It's like that. It's not exactly mm-hmm. a perfect remake of it or anything. It misses sure. a lot of the point of it. Not all of it. It gets the big point of it, but it misses a lot of the little points, which I, I think are kind of important. So, but well, Clueless is great. Yeah. yeah. Clueless is really great. A, a movie of that type from that era, I shouldn't like at all. And the fact that I even like it moderately shows you that it's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, She's a great, great lead. She really, I, Alicia yeah. Silverstone carries that very, very well. Well, it's she perfect, perfect role for her. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Sometimes amazing. that happens. You get the perfect role. Yeah. The, uh, and then you spend the rest of your life looking for it again and you never find it in yeah. the case of Alicia. And that's why I eschewed Hollywood. I didn't want to get <laughs> cast in the perfect role too soon right. and then be on a quest. So no. I just said, no, I'll, everyone will just have to miss my perfect role. And you know what? It's very, it was very brave of you. I know yeah, the world is sadder that. for it. Let's just be honest. Yeah, they, they are, but I mean, it was, it, it's brave <laughs> of you to choose that. Um, all right. So let's move on to our number two. Our number two story uh, that, that we're going to talk about the adaptations of is Sense and Sensibility. Woo! Um, a little story with, that, that's, that's featured a couple little movies that have been, have been uh, popular. Really, only uh, a, well, unless we go back, we're talking about our adulthood. Basically, all these movies exist. There are versions of these going back, back, and back, and yeah. back. Mm-hmm. But I really don't. I really think Sense and Sensibility and Jane, modern Jane Austen adaptations weren't really cracked until uh, until uh, who's the producer? Uh, I can't remember her name. Who oh. kind of owned this property and just willed it into being? And her idea to have. Rebecca Eaton? No, Rebecca Eaton's just the public television Boston lady who edits everything for America. I'm not a fan of hers. Um, you can read her book. It's incredibly interesting. Is it? Yeah, it was. I, I it was really interesting. Did she explain why she edits out everything racy that was okay for Amer- uh, European yeah, audiences, but yeah. not okay for us? Because unless uh, she's got a whole chapter that justifies her censorship, I'm not reading well, her book. All, all I'll say is in Europe. <laughs> You yeah. pay a flat TV tax, and then whatever plays is what plays. In America, they need funders, and funders tend to be conservative. I will say, as a nonprofit leader, I'm right with her. I totally get it. It's crummy, but I get it. Yeah. Well, my tax um, money pays her salary, so she needs to do what I want more often. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, I'll send that and out. I'm not a donor at all. And I never will be. <laughs> I'm curious for both Ryan and me. I can just watch these on BBC on the internet. I don't need you for anything, Rebecca. Urgh. All right, anyway. Right, look, she's an accomplished lady. I don't mean to... I'm teasing a little bit here. I am. I do have a legitimate beef, but I don't really hate her. I don't really hate her. She, she's okay, a Okay, I'm going to put 
I'm gonna put a time right here. Okay. Hi, bud. What do you need? Snack. <laughs> you want to say okay? All right. Uh, all right. So we um, we are back. I had to help my son there that for that edit. Um, That's okay. That happens, everybody. Right? Yep. We all have yep. sons. I don't, but. <laughs> I do. I can't help him during a yeah. short edit. But. You don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't necessarily need to stop and get him. Help him get a snack. Anyway, sense and sensibility. No, I, I apologize first to Miss Eaton for though. being mean to her, but I, you know, like I said, I have I have legit complaints, but I don't really. I'm not really mad at her. Well, the person I wanted to give the credit to, though, who is not her, is Lindsay Doran. I looked her up okay. during the break. Thank goodness for the break. Yeah, Lindsay, because Lindsay is not. We give the credit to the 95, you know, big screen adaptation of Sense and Sensibility to a lot of people. It typically does not go to her. And typically, we've talked about it on the show all the time, the producers, 85% of the time, don't deserve any of the credit. They get all the oh, money. They don't do anything except cause problems. Yeah. Lindsay Doran wanted to do this story. And when, when uh, Sidney Pollock came on board, he was like, well, yeah, but shouldn't we do this one or that one? She's like, no, sense and sensibility. She's had this all worked out, mm -hmm. and her, just her passion that brought it into being. The most amazing thing she did was, she, for whatever reason, they tell the story on the DVD, and I, the details, as always, are a little lost to me, but she got connected with, uh, who was a pretty famous sketch comedy writer and performer, uh, former Cambridge uh, student, Emma Thompson and saw her parodies basically of this sort of thing on this TV show in England and thought, wow, she, she's just making this stuff up. Like she really gets this stuff. So she had this kind of talk with her and they they shared their passion on this. Even Emma was like, well, maybe shouldn't we do? And she's like, no sense and sensibility. It's going to be sense and sensibility. All right, let's just get this straight. That's what it's going to be. Okay. No more. I get that you love this or that or whatever. I don't care. It should be. Shouldn't it be Emma? Emma's a little easier for audience. No. No. And Emma Thompson took Sense and Sensibility and went away and adapted it into this 7,000 page <laughs> film script or whatever that everybody sort of had to go at. And she kind of just writing in a way and... And obviously, she got cast. Ultimately, in the in the interim, she became something of a movie star, particularly in England, but even a little bit over here. And uh, but what I think what really made her a star, honestly, was was Sense and Sensibility. Her she plays Eleanor, one of these sort of I don't know what to call them. They're like divorced sisters, the ladies of the family who are sort of they're you know, but they're. It's so harsh what happens to them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, I get that's the point of the story, and so I don't mean to make a big deal of it, but it's just it's a hard thing even to relate to in the story. Their their stepbrother is a pretty nice enough guy, and he makes this vow to take care of them financially on his father's deathbed. You really think he's going to do it, and he sort of lets himself get talked out of it. Not sort of. Totally. Like, completely gets yeah. talked. Like, he gets yeah, talked yeah. out of every penny they, of it, virtually. Basically, he basically leaves... His three stepsisters and his stepmother, absolutely penniless. Yeah. At the mercy of others, yes. others non-family members' charity, even though yeah. he has plenty. More than enough. More than yes. enough to take care of them. Yes. Uh, you know, it's just, it's... You know, it's, it's interesting because Norland, the family estate in Sense and Sensibility, is one of the few attached to a woman that is in good shape. 
Right. I mean, so so is Hartfield and Emma, but right. she's not yet left on her own because her father's still living. Right. So these women actually could have been in perfectly fine shape. They may not have gotten to stay in the family house, but they would have had other places they could have gone. Right. And he really does just shove them. Well, his wife, yeah. his wife right out the door. Yeah. And they are, they are totally dependent on the kindness of virtual strangers. Yes. They go to a cousin's house, but they've never even met. Yeah. They're just lucky that they came along. Oh, how lucky they are. Cause one of their lives takes a slight turn for the worse, but everybody else, once things get rolling, are much, much better off yeah. where they end up in this cottage, sorting mm -hmm. through things and sort of finding themselves. Um, Eleanor is a very, uh, very, we talked about Anne earlier. She's a very reserved, very unexpressive sort of responsible older sister. I think we all know that character too. Her, her younger sister, Marianne is a extremely like modern woman. She's this people talk, you know, people in the novel, people in the film complain about her as being impractical. She's this, she's that, but there's nothing that she does in that, that to, in uh, to, that today, if she do it, it would be any problem at all. There are these rules of propriety that she doesn't always follow. She gets in a barouche, Ryan. Don't pretend that's not a big deal. What's a barouche? What <laughs> a carriage. Uh, oh, right, right. She rides too she fast in a carriage. Go off on their own in a carriage, and everyone is like, "Well, when will they be married?" Because yep. they must be getting married, or this would not be happening, yes. right? Yep. Yeah. Or she's a wanton woman. She gets in a barouche. Falling. You know, I, I love Marianne. She is sort of impractical, especially given their situation. But I just. I just don't want her to get a short shift. She's she just uh she believes in love in these heightened ways. She believes in yeah. music and poetry and and all these wonderful things that we all believe in as as so-called artists, you know, at one time or another. And I just feel like that's really not so bad. <laughs> and she falls in love with this guy, and she wants to go on a carriage ride with him. She doesn't make out with him or anything. She's it, also seventeen. Exactly. I mean, that was even young then. Exactly. And the great Colonel Brandon, the, their new neighbor where they move, he just even said, Eleanor says, well, the sooner she becomes acquainted with the ways of the world, the better. And he has that great, don't, yep. don't wish don't it. Don't wish it. Yep. You don't want, you say that and I, but you don't want that. I've seen it and it, it, yep. it is no good. It, that's a wonderful moment in the story. It lands so much of what is said by Austin through these characters in this version of Sense and Sensibility, even stuff that Austin didn't write, that Emma Thompson wrote, yeah. it the the brilliance of this version, and this is probably Ang Lee's doing because he's a really brilliant at this. If you watch the, his Hong Kong films that come before this, they, they the same thing happens. Somebody says something, and the film takes real time to make sure you see it stick with the other person in the room who's not wow. saying anything. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to name just a couple of my favorites. The first one is Emma Thompson wrote. It's not in the book. It, there's a version of it, but Emma Thompson wrote this perfect way of saying it. I swear that if I wasn't silenced because of propriety, I could have, I could have shown evidence of a broken heart even for you. For that character to say something like that is something. But for it to break the other person's heart so thoroughly that then she then has to get up, cross the room, and comfort the other person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it all feels right. 
is an, kind of a miracle and is an amazing thing. And uh, another, the other bit, of course, that I love that absolutely is in the novel is, is, is in the final analysis when one of our characters learned all these tough and painful lessons. And she's, you know, talking about what she should or shouldn't have done. They're out for a walk or whatever. And, and Eleanor says to Marianne, she says, we don't seriously mean to compare your conduct with, with Willoughby's, this guy she had this huge crush on. And she says, no, I compare them with what they ought to have been. I compare them with yours. And Marianne just says that, like, I figured it mm -hmm. out. But yeah. you see it land with Eleanor. You see how the, suddenly this burdensome, naggy, pain-in-the-ass older sister is her whole essence has been appreciated in this moment. And the power of that is sensational. It's just really, really amazing. And... I can't tell you, the whole film is this perfect collection of these moments that all stick and land, like, just every second of it. I, it's it's a near-perfect movie. I, I agree with you 100%. It has one of my two all-time most favorite acting moments. Both happen to be by Emma Thompson, and it's such a nothing moment. So they get to this new house, which by our standards is fabulous. By their standards, it's basically <laughs> right. a tent. Yeah, <laughs> and all women are sobbing except for Eleanor because she's got right. To be the They've all run to their rooms they and slammed the doors. Yeah, she sits down on the stairs with a cup of tea. The camera is behind her, meant to she's comfort her sister, and it is one of the most profound acting moments. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not just acting that every time because you feel yeah. the weight. Emma yeah, conceived of that moment. Of that entire story yeah. on her. Yeah. It's incredible. She's She is just so exquisite in that movie. I mean, I, there isn't a character in that I think is miscast, but she is truly, I, I don't care that she's too old to play the role. I don't right. care that she didn't want to play her. She is just off the chart. Yeah, for someone, yeah, for someone who reluctantly... Yeah. stepped in because we're like okay well we need somebody with star power you're you know her she you know she had just come off an academy award nomination and you know yep. uh, stuff and so it's like okay i'll do it she absolutely i mean just crushes she's every just every incredible. moment she is oh, yeah. and it's an actorly role because she's emma's not really much anything like eleanor you know she embodies her but that, that isn't her. And the fact yeah. that she uh, advocates for her so strongly that we all just, it, it's really mm -hmm. amazing. And then just from top to bottom, Hugh Grant is, is perfect in it. Uh, obviously Alan Rickman, the late Alan Rickman is amazing in it. Uh, Alan Rickman had been just because he was so good in his screen debut in Die Hard, he'd just been offered villain after villain after villain in these Hollywood movies. And he basically had to just take the, best ones he could it wasn't like there were other roles out there for him yeah, he yeah. played a bunch of other weird things and odd stuff that didn't hit because it wasn't any good because he was just trying to do something different but the first time you see the soul of that man on screen is in is in sense and sensibility it's mm -hmm. and it's stunning change because this guy is night and day different from the person we're used to seeing him portray there's no hans gruber that shows up in well but but i would also say i would also say that that because of his the popularity of hans gruber uh, and and his performance of that it, it as as 
I, I think his casting is is they, they play that up a little bit. Those first mm-hmm. few times we meet Colonel Brandon. Yeah, who are you? I mean, What's your deal? Yeah, we're, and we're supposed to like, oh, there's our villain. There's you know, there's the jerk <laughs> right. of the piece. And, and, and then then Greg Wise comes on, and you're like, oh, and you know, so it is this great. I carry the sonnets with me. Yeah, time, but you know. yeah, between Willoughby so, and and and, uh, and Craig Greg Wise is great too. He's a guy that gets knocked for being Mister Emma Thompson. Pretty much everything he does <laughs> sure. these days, he's a really good actor and he's really fantastic in Sense and Sensibility. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. And and also, I we, mean, he I, really I, he's really is Willoughby and his his I've never seen I've seen Sense done a few different times and and Greg's breakdown when he has to go away or whatever, like his inability to even get a word out. Yeah. That's nobody else has done mm-hmm. it like that. Everybody else plays the guy a little slimier than yeah. than he, the, even the evidence of the story sort of suggests that he is. Uh, Greg doesn't let you in on any of that. He's yeah. he's Willoughby all the way. He's Team Willoughby all the way, and it it, yeah, it yeah. makes a difference in the movie. I think so. Um, and and I do. I I also love I. I always come away with it just really um, aside from the obvious people who are amazing in it and, and Ang Lee's direction of it, no. but um, Hugh Laurie and Amalda Staunton fellow. Um, they, that's like fellow that, with Emma Thompson. Yeah. That's like us doing a movie together. Yeah. Hey, I'm in a movie. Let me bring all my college friends with me. Basically yeah, is yeah. what it was. And it, yeah. I was like, let, yeah, get everyone from Peter's friends to come on and, and, and make an appearance in here. And, and, Hugh Laurie is so funny. So funny. And well, and again, I can't stress enough. I'm no fan of Peter's friends, but that's that that's I literally that their group. Yeah. That's literally the group that went to Cambridge together and were in the theater arts together at Cambridge. That all those people, uh, yeah. Branna yeah. accepted. That was Emma's class. Branna didn't go to Cambridge, but oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine showing Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie and Imelda Staunton and class. Tony Slattery all in school with you? Yep. Emma Thompson, stunning. Yep. Yeah, and there's only one things. other lady who's and she didn't go into acting. She's like a doctor or something, and she was brilliant. <laughs> what a what a slacker! What a slug. she just decided not. But she was. You go back and watch their stuff they did mm-hmm. together. She's brilliant. So let's. Uh, so we we've gushed about this. Let's let's quickly talk. You know, sort of quickly talk about the 2008 yeah uh, uh, miniseries again. This is another uh, Andrew Davies adaptation. Um, I, I must admit, I have not seen this one. I watched this uh, last night so that I could talk about it. And I thrilled that I did. It was great. It's great. There are lots of things about it. I think, um, the mother is beautiful. What's her name? You know, she's a great actor. Uh, oh, not Dan Stevens. That's not the one I wanted to click on. Um, I love Dan Stevens. <laughs> Dan's great in it. The mother. Yeah. No, I although, love Dan Stevens. Although entirely too conventionally beefcakey for for edward yeah, but he's yeah, still it's a great performance he still gets the guy which is yeah. i appreciate i um the troopy kid who plays willoughby i, I Do, yeah dominic him, cooper yeah that's Co- a disappointing yep. cast and i will because say, he I'm, really does come in as a conventional double crossing villain kind of it, a guido yeah exactly it's too bad what i it isn't found, just him it's that he doesn't Unlike Dan, who's also kind of miscast a little bit, yep. he he doesn't yep. find his way in it. It's right. It's too bad. I he it does an okay job, but he it's not the same. I Janet agree. McTeer is, uh, is yeah, Janet, Janet McTeer. McTeer. Yeah, 
I thought what was really interesting when I rewatched this that I had not remembered is how much more action is built into it. I mean, that's a relative term when you're thinking about action movies. Jane Austen. No, but I got to see, <laughs> I, and I was all excited. I, I wrote to you guys about it. I'm like, I get to finally see the duel, you know, which is you know, absolutely which is not a part of the 95 Austen. Sense and Sensibility. Yeah. And, and makes no sense in the context of a Jane Austen novel. But I mean, it's in the novel. No, it's not. It isn't. No. Unless yes, it is. I somehow missed it. I don't think so. No, it's in the novel because I, I have. I just watched Emma Thompson complaining that she had to cut it out of the uh, out of her version of the movie. Well, I have to go back and read. And it was the number one thing people complained about because they loved the duel. You know what? The movie. There's not a lot of context for it either. You get that there's tension between these guys, but why are they right. sword fighting all of a sudden? Right. Like you, you have to learn everything later. So the movie yeah. plays it fairly cleverly, but yeah, I, I, I have it from Emma Thompson's it. mouth that it is in the novel. So I feel okay, like well, I don't want to argue with you about it. But. I, I will admit as much as I love the Emma Thompson movie, I don't love this novel. So I've probably mm. only read it twice. Huh. Um, and I probably haven't read it in. Well, it is a list of adaptations folks. So we'd still, or we'd mm. have just talked about persuasion the whole time, the whole time, the whole time persuasion, yeah. deep dive. Maybe that'll be in the future. <laughs> we'll have to get okay. some actual requests for that though, before we do yeah, it. I, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. It's great. <laughs> Hattie McDaniel plays Eleanor in it. She's, she's a really, she's, she's a, uh, Hattie McDaniel. That's her name. Hattie McDaniel. Yeah. She, she has the same name as the woman who played Mammy in gone with the wind. Really? That's no, it's Hattie Hattie Morahan. Oh, Morahan. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say that seems unlikely to me. <laughs> I don't even Gone with the Wind. I don't even know. So I guess that's just something I absorbed without knowing it. Yeah. I do that all the time. I mix up names. Sorry, Hatties. No, it's fine. Both. I just couldn't believe that they had the same name. Hattie Morahan. Well, either way, I know that actor. She's got big bug eyes, and she uses them to great effect in everything she's in. She keeps it to a minimum in Sense and Sensibility, which is appreciated, but they still show up in a few places yep. that are actually pretty great. Um, and I, I could not get on board with the actress who plays Marianne. I, well, I liked her. She was subtler, which I don't know is helpful. Oh, man. Man, that girl's teeth were so bad, I couldn't get past them. Uh, I know. I'm just going to pull that card. The Daddy. teeth really boo. Come on, when she and Willoughby are at the estate, he's going to inherit, and she's uh, in the window. With all the single ladies with bad teeth, you know, PM me. It's cool. I'm down. You know, <laughs> don't listen to Dana. We, I'm sorry. I we all have our things. You know, it's cool. I, know. I got stuff I don't like about me too, but <laughs> these are bad. Bad. <laughs> Distracting. Distracting. I, I don't remember who's that actor, Joel. Can you tell us who plays Marianne in this version of it? Uh, yes, give, sorry, give me one. I was looking up the duel. Yep. Um, uh, in this version, it is uh, it, 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 we're talking about sorry, we're I'm sorry, you're talking asking about Marianne. About Marianne, who plays Marianne in this? It is uh, Charity Wakefield. Okay, Charity, not good toothed Wakefield. There you go, that's her boxing name. Um, I oh, like them man. in it, but I, I do feel like even the, I feel like it's just, it couldn't, it's, it's got more stuff in it, which I like, cause there's stuff from sense and sensibility that I hadn't experienced before. So I really love that. I knew where the story was going. So I was feeling for everybody. So that wasn't a problem. Um, you know, I thought it was a good adaptation. I just, it suffered by comparison. There are these 
magical moments that I've had 25 years to fall in love with. And when I didn't feel the same way, when they passed by, I just was like, you know, I was all kind of, I was strung along well enough, but I was discombobulated by that. So, but I thought it was pretty great, actually. I don't want to diss on it. it it's yep, neat. Me too. Yeah. Well, cool. I, well, I don't dislike it either. Yeah. But it's tough. Okay. That it's it's tough when the ninety when the ninety five version is it's, uh, it's is so good. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of nineteen ninety five. Uh, are we really doing that first i thought we we're oh no we have to do that first yeah we have to do that one first uh let's because uh, we can't enter into a discussion of this particular adaptations without speaking of the yeah i thought yeah, that the, through i'm just reminding myself and we mentioned it welcome at the, back to dana, the show everybody <laughs> dana mentioned it at at the out, outset as uh this was her gateway drug uh to to jane austen and My gateway uh and, drug the J <laughs> and uh it was uh of course the uh the story of course is pride and prejudice um uh i will say my son is uh the his name he's he's bennett because of the bennett family in uh in pride and prejudice really yeah yeah that's why we oh, wow that's where we um, that is a, that is a deep commitment yeah, i should well, say uh, it, it, you know, it, there's a longer, dumber story, but ultimately it, it came around and we're like, and you know, it matches the family name of one of our favorite stories. And so we're like, let's do it. Nice. Um, but, uh, prime prejudice, uh, the, in the 1995, uh, adaptation of it is, um, it, it's pretty, it's pretty bonkers. It's pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, also andrew davies again right and again if this is an andrew davies uh this yeah i believe this was the first um of the andrew davies i can't i find he's it. amazing he's done dickens he's adapted war and he's peace great. into a watchable he's thing i mean he's yeah he's, I mean, he's a, he, astonishing with respect to our dear friend jeffrey hatcher who's really good at this too andrew davies really is the best adapter of western literature for the screen Perhaps ever, but certainly working now, I have to say. Yeah. And and to... his signature is all over this. He 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 lets this one be. He's got time. Again, he's got four hours and change here yeah. to get it all in there. And it's all there. Everything that you read, right? Every little thing that you know, people who were Austin fans up until this point, like it's everything they thought about and envisioned, like it's all in it. Yeah. And that's yeah. it's that's tough to beat. But what it has that no other, none of these, nothing ever. I just don't think it's going to be beat. What it has at the heart of it is this, this sort of perfect period, romantic leading man, who is embodied by sort of this exact perfect coming of this guy who was always meant to play this role and was just young enough to smolder in it. And was, yet it was a good enough seasoned enough actor to be, to make all kinds of excellent choices. And, and, you know, was still just super attractive and everything else you want him to be like, mm -hmm. it just I feel really bad for the guy I'm going to talk about in a few minutes because it's just no way that you. No. No <laughs> way. And, He's and the bar by which all other, but I'm sorry, say again. I said who we're going to talk about was also yeah. great, but it's, like, but you, it, you're, you, can't, you cannot compete. Right. Yeah. 
And and it, no, it's no. not just in your Pride and Prejudice adaptations. You just can't ac really across the board. It he um I don't want to say for every period drama ever, but geez, there's only a couple of guys in the history of this genre over this period, this 25 period of time, which has been ripe with these sorts yeah. of things. There've been several amazing ones, mm -hmm. and he just is the he's the top of the king of the mountain. Top of the pile, everything about mm -hmm. Colin Firth in the '95 Prejudice. And you like, know he turned it down. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. I mean, he was so yeah. he was initially vetted, and somebody on the casting side said, "Absolutely not." And then they talked that person into it, and they reached out to him, and he said, "Absolutely not." No, screw you. And they reached out again, and I mean, they really had to work on him. Mm -hmm. Kind of a Clark Gable playing Rhett Butler moment, just like. How do I take on this? Except Colin Firth, he was a known entity, but he wasn't like some big star or anything either. Like, no, but, but when you have It helped that he wasn't because he, he was so unknown much. enough that he was this guy to you. You didn't yeah. imagine him in his other yeah. roles the way we I do now. In, I think in literature there are three, and I could easily be debunked on this, but there are three major characters. You have Rhett Butler from Gone with the Wind, you have Theodore Lawrence from Little Women, and you have... Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. And I think to take on any of those three characters would be sort of that like, oh, please don't put that entire mountain on my shoulders. And I think, you know, it, it's very rare that, that they get it right. And mm -hmm. Colin Firth is just absolutely right. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Colin Firth is so good in this version of Pride and Prejudice that when the role comes up again in Bridget Jones's diary, <laughs> It's literally all you all he has to do is appear on screen and all of the work is done for the Fine. entire film. Yeah. Because of the work he did in the 95 miniseries. Yep. It's it's a brilliant little bit of kismet that he played it, you know, he was able to play it again. But but, um, but the aforementioned Jennifer Ely who really yeah. it, is the story and has to carry it in she a way that Colin is, doesn't have to. Yeah, and she's stunning. She's yeah. so so amazingly lovely. I love Do you her. You know who her mother is? Who? Uh, uh, uh her mother Ely? plays the aunt <laughs> in this Tom Hooper Harper whatever his name is Spider-Man movies. Um Marissa Tomei she, Okay, I'm on the wrong Spider-Man. Maybe Toby Tom Hooper, Sally Field. She's Spider-Man's oh. aunt. Um, then in the Is early, Rosemary her? Harris. Her, Rosemary Harris. Oh, that is Jennifer yeah, okay. Ely's mother. So the Tobey oh, yeah, Maguire ones. Harris, yeah. You do not know your Spider-Man. You're like, yeah. that's four Spider-Man ago, Dana. Yeah, sorry. Who played who's Spider-Man in her version? Toby Rosemary Maguire. Harris. Toby Maguire. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tobey Maguire. Um, it'll be okay. Once the multiverse opens up, they all become one thing. It, yeah, it'll be, it'll all work out. It'll all work out. And you'll, Rosemary you'll Harris is great. I just saw her in something different yeah. the other day and she was a battle accent and it was really fun. Oh. I don't remember what it was. But she's yeah. a good actor. Uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Ely is um, just amazing. I mean, Elizabeth Bennett mm -hmm. is a hard character because she's so uh, conventionally disliked by her era but mm -hmm. we resonate so strongly with her today. Right. You have, to, you have to figure out how to not play into the easy part of modern audiences right. appreciating her so that you lose the authenticity of the era, which is incredible. Well, yeah, it is. It is amazing. And yeah. her sort of natural 
it's hard to explain it, but her, she, I, she, I, Jennifer Ely just cast against type really in that role. So, but that's to the benefit of the character too, because her natural kindness and stuff that kind of exists between the cracks of the dialogue and everything really, really plays great in the movie. That's also really, really tough to top it. it she's just, she's incredible in it. And the, the whole family, you get to spend all this time with them. I still, I still get the two sisters mixed up until one of them runs away with somebody. I'm like, which one's oh, the one that, and, um, Mary Kitty, who's the one that marries Wickham? Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 if you hadn't said Kitty first, I'd remember, but I can't. What now? I get him. I'm getting mixed up again. Oh my gosh, M Mary. And yeah, Lydia. not Mary. Lydia. 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 Oh, Lydia. Lydia. How could we forget? How could we forget? Yeah, no, Lydia. Mary. Poor Mary. Um, it, they're all brought to life really convincingly and really wonderfully, and and the. I also really like the just the pastoral nature of the story. It yep. it's it, the whole the the I have to say the longer the miniseries Sense and Sensibility gets this right too. When they move to the cottage, you really feel like whoa, they're gonna have to make this work somehow. It's still kind of a nice house, but there's no sense of you just moved from a giant house to a smaller, yeah. lovely house. Mm -hmm. You you moved into this whole different culture, and everything's gonna be yeah. different now. And yep. That had a real sense of place to it that I really appreciated. That this too has this, you know, with the there's like always a duck somewhere. There's always something. This is not an easy thing to do when you're shooting a miniseries. It's not a feature film. So to have stuff happening everywhere and to have everything populated with servants or whoever, farmers, you know, it it it, it just love that it gets all that atmosphere right. It really works well in its favor, I think. Uh I, I agree, but I will say to me, just hopping forward, if we're going to hop around. We're going to. We can. Crazy. Go for it. Um, I actually think that the most successful element to the Kira Knightley, Matthew McFadden version is that it's even more pastoral. And it's so, when she's on that swing spinning and all the seasons pass, I mean, that is the ultimate representation of arranging matches and just the tedium of that life. So on one hand, and it's no are, mistake that when the swing stops, she's looking at her friend absolutely. who's run out of time, who's run yep. out of time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, absolutely. and that whole conversation is yep. a really, and really powerful conversation. Beautiful. You know, when she crosses that little moat and there's a pig in the house and all of that, I love how, um, sort of messy the new pride and prejudice is that scene where, where Mrs. Bennett's on, is on the couch asleep with the book on her face and they find out that the gentlemen have come and they shove everything under the couch. And I love that moment because it, it humanizes them. I don't care if it's 1817 or yeah. 2017. We all sometimes have a messy house and somebody unexpectedly drops by. The brilliance, yeah, the, the brilliance of Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice is that it just, it, it, it doesn't have the luxury. It's half as the length. So it doesn't have the luxury of having all these moments in it. So every little signature character thing has to pay off, yep. you know, yeah. and they do, they really, they do, they do almost without question. You, you, you get to know everybody, Lydia and Kitty aside, although even they, you, you kind of get the difference. Um, yep. it, 
or at least you do when you have to. <laughs> when it matters. <laughs> when it yeah, becomes it important, you, yeah. you get it. The um, in the book, too. I, when I first watched that movie, I thought, did they combine these two into one person in the longer yeah. version? They wouldn't do that. No, it was just me. I combined them into one person yeah. until one of them became consequential, and then I forgot about the other one altogether. Yeah. Carrie Mulligan plays Kitty in Joe Wright, yep. and you, she's not forgettable. And no. it's why I was a. She's not. Everything she she knows when she's yeah. on camera, she doesn't yeah. get to do a lot. So every time she gets to do something, it pow, it's magic. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you can't forget about her. So that I I just forgot about the other poor Kitty. Sorry, whoever yeah. you are. Well, she's she's even more inconsequential in a longer version, which is super interesting. Yeah, and it is. Well, sure. In twice the length. But yeah. from an anthropological study, that is an interesting idea. But it mm -hmm. yeah. So. I, I I adore it. I, there's a lot of things I like better about it. I like Kira as opposed to Jennifer Ely, who really is sort of definitive now. But you know they all kind of are in that '95 version. But that aside, Kira brings the Catherine Hepburn like movie star power to the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. She really, really does have that. And Joe Wright only gave her one rule. He said, "You can't pout ever." Thank God. Because that's all Kira does in all these movies, yep. you know, especially the big Hollywood ones. He said, if I, if I see you doing that, I'm going to stop everything. I'm going to yell at you in front of everybody. Don't do it. Part of your work in preparation for this role is you can't do that. And, of course, Joe took off one day because some family thing and the, one of the producers was shooting that day and she got, she got one in. So there is a pout in the movie, which he'll be happy to point out to you that he did not approve of or sanction, but that was in every take and he had to put it in the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just think that's really funny. Uh, it, so she, that, that shorter version of the movie needs that. It really does. Yeah. Need, you need to, you can't get to know her the way you get to know a person. You have to get, mm -hmm. you got to hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, and McFadden, again, I, in a lot of ways, I prefer him too. He, he he he's because he's a really attractive guy. He's really sort of wonderful. I mean, there's things about him that he's well cast. He's not Colin Firth, so whatever the magic is isn't necessarily there. But what is there is this: the pathos of the character is super on his sleeve. Like what he's really going through, you get I think a little bit more with Colin, who remains this mysterious magical oh, man throughout the whole thing. Hundred percent. Um, when he proposes to her, when Matthew McFadden proposes to her, it is so real. Yeah. When he can't even get I, out, I, I love, love you. It takes him like four or yeah, five he, times. Yeah. It, it is wrenching. Even when he thinks it's going to work out, he still can't really say it because he's just not a guy who says stuff like that. I'm what does she say? He says, can I give you a ride back into town or whatever when he, she's suddenly at his estate? Right. And she's like, no, I prefer to walk. And he says, no, I know. <laughs> we all know we all know what that means you crazy yeah. kids it's gonna work out for you guys what they don't know it yet no yeah that's the delight of it emma thompson consulted on that film too like they gave it to her and said oh i didn't know that yeah do, do some stuff with this you know we're working on this any ideas you have she only had three ideas but my favorite idea of hers was that when they find out lydia's run off and she comes in to tell them the news and then starts crying again and goes back behind the little divider yeah. and then comes back again, composes herself and says that Emma, that's Emma Thompson, right? Isn't it? Now that you know, yep. that's, that's so, her yeah. all over. Mm -hmm. So that's the one that sticks with me because 
yes, of course you wrote that. <laughs> you know, well, because it's got that incredible energy. And it's hilarious, and yet there's nothing lost in the drama of what's happening. Even yeah. though what's happening to our minds in modern audiences' lives doesn't that that big a deal, right? It's gonna bring down the whole family? That can't be. Like even today, I still like it's even it's just one of them. Like the others will be all yeah. right, right? <laughs> they will not, Ryan. No, I you know, and the, the movie sentence. the movie lands that idea. You know, I I yeah. get it. Uh, you know, Judy Dench, that, the, that is the one thing I do definitively like better. The confrontation scene between Judy Dench and Keira Knightley is electric. Yes. It's the same word for word in both movies, but in, in that second movie, yeah. Whew. Judy Dench is, uh, is just, I mean. Yeah, she's pretty good. I think she's going to, I think she's got a, I know it's a little late in her career, but I think she's got some, I think she's got legs. But she plays, again, she, obviously she's brilliant. So she doesn't just play the mean, I'm sticking it to the hero thing. She's, she's terrified of what's happening here. Her whole world's Mm -hmm. been blown up and you can see it all over her face, even though she's not saying it. And Kira's. It d- belongs in the room with that kind of talent, and that just is awesome. It's just really exciting to see, you know, a couple of titans like that at it, at each other. Yeah. I, I yeah. love that scene. I so love that scene it's too. it's lovable. They both really are lovable in their own way. How do you yeah. feel about Donald Sutherland in it? He's okay. I, he especially yeah. he especially because you believe him as the pushover he that he is. I can't figure out why they cast Donald Sutherland. I He's got a long him. history of playing British people in British movies. Remember, Donald Sutherland's Canadian, and he lived in England in the late 70s and early 80s. Hey, I, I mean, I don't think he's bad in it. I don't even dislike I He's fine in it. I just, it's such an odd choice to me to say, mm. well, we're going to take this one outlier because there are no 60-year-old men anywhere in England right. to play. The, it's just an interesting choice. Well, me. Jenna Malone's America, American too, plays Lydia. Yeah, that, yeah, that could be part of the, just the producing really? saying, oh, we, you know, know we, yeah, Jenna Malone is, a, yeah, she's, okay. she's, she's one of us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and that, that also just could come from, you know, the, the I think that's all I can think of, yeah. but still there's a couple of them. In I'm, there. I'm looking at them, uh, looking at it. And I don't, I, at least, to my eye, I don't see any other Americans. No, I think in there. it's all, but yeah. he's not American. He's Canadian. That's important. Right. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. He's a Canadian actor uh, I, who's played I said, I said British North people American. with Sean Connery, and he's played. I said North American. Oh, sorry. North American. I must yeah. have cut out when I no, said but, the North. Yeah. Not to get too inside not, baseball, but it it no, makes but a right. difference. It makes a difference. It you can be a Canadian a and go live and work in England rather easily. Yep. You cannot be an American and just decide you're going to go over there. The amount of hoops you got to yep. go through, because the amount of hoops you got to go through in reverse are, are oh, extensive and intense. Yeah. Reverse are bonkers. Well, that's and it, and they they respond mm-hmm. that way. As a Canadian, English people can move to Canada and just say, "I'm Canadian now," and it really is pretty much as simple as that. Yeah, and and, and vice versa. So it's so when you see an American expatriate like Jillian Armstrong or or Jillian Anderson, sorry, Anderson, yeah. mixing up my Jillians, um, you know, somebody I'm an American who just is suddenly in Britain all the time. That's a really yeah, unusual I think, thing. I thought Jillian Anderson was born in England. It, was she? She was I born in like Nebraska or something. Joel, eh, give me a moment. Fine. Give me a moment. Um, 
it is uh, a testament to what a great story it is that um, you can add zombies to it and it almost still works. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, no, she zombies was. And Japanese dojos. Don't forget the dojos. Yeah, and the dojos. As long uh, as there are was... no ninjas. She was born in, uh, Jillian Anderson was born in Chicago, uh, but I'm looking to see if she had any other roots. Oh, but she grew up in London. She was born in Chicago, grew up in okay, London and Grand Rapids, I mean, Michigan. So, she so has, there's more of a connection there than ties, just, yeah. I want to live in England. I'm going home to England was what she was yeah. doing. Still, it's rare. Um, yeah. But with Canadians, not so much so. Uh, that's the Donald Sutherland thing. He's a very, very popular actor in England. Well, like I said, I don't dislike him. It's just, it's just a funny casting to me, but I will, I will concede to your point. And his, his, I, you know, his, uh, you know, that would be nothing if you really liked him. His, his, I have to admit, I, I, I don't really believe that anyone can deserve you, you know? But I, it seems I'm overruled. Like his performance mm -hmm. in those moments is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But but yeah. better I think after him. better I think is he's he he makes some really poor choices on behalf of his family throughout the movie. Even though he's a very kind-hearted guy. Yeah. It's he's not really ruthless enough to deal with these. Once these high society people come into his life, he just thinks it's gonna kind of work out, and it you know, and it doesn't. It, it does, but it almost doesn't. I mean, it really is almost catastrophic. She sits there and tells him, you cannot let her go. She yeah. will do, you know, even, even, even Elizabeth doesn't, she doesn't take it to the extreme of what actually happens, but she just knows it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's, well, I, I'll never hear the end of it if she doesn't go. Like, he just. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. really like he can't be bothered to be disturbed so just let it go because I have a book to read. Right, right, right. Yeah. It, it, he, he captures that, I think, really nicely. I, I also think that that mindset of, well, this is how I will live until I die. And then I'm sorry, you're kind of on your own. Right. That's pretty prevalent in a lot of these stories. You know, I mean, I think one of the best. That's not his life philosophy. That's just the reality of his existence. It's and it's how he gets from day to day. It's very clear yeah. when you watch it. He, one of my favorite lines that shows up, I think, in both versions is when he says, fancy, my dear, perhaps I'll outlive you because she's always lamenting about how they're all going to be thrown out of the house. And that's his solution. <laughs> right. Well, maybe you'll die first. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not really a solution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of, it sort of feels like it, it, it always has felt to me like I have, I have made uh, all sorts of bad choices and I can't make any more choices because whichever one I make is going to be the wrong one. Yeah. Yeah. And so, therefore, I'm going to remove, just continually remove myself. Yeah. Well, and his um, issues with his wife and her 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 mouth and everything, mm -hmm. like he just can't. That's not a salt. He, he's lived long enough to know that's not a solvable thing for him. So he just just keeps his head down and just tries to get through it all. It, it you know, it, he's not a. We're talking about him like he's kind of a terrible person, but it isn't. Yeah. He's this no. loving kind of wonderful father that a a brood like that is kind of lucky to have. But right. But he is not ruthless enough for the age. Truly, he isn't, and it it do, it does end up making a difference when marrying the lords and ladies. When what you have is your good name, that's what you have to trade off of, and you just gotta make the most of it, man. And he kind of doesn't get that, which is too bad. 
but it ends up being good for our hero. In the end, it's a good well, thing. It, well. Yeah, exactly. Indeed, but. indeed, indeed. Um, all right, so that is our list of um, the our competing multiple lists. Our 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 top not a lot five, of competition. We're pretty much eye to eye on really. those for the most part. Um, but no, but we wanted to. We gave. We gave. We didn't. I don't think we gave any uh, short shrift to some of these. You know, when you have a, a, an author like Jane Austen, there are multiple adaptations of it. It's like if we were to do. You know, when we do our start doing a Shakespeare, uh, you know, show, we, there's going to be multiple adaptations well, that we're going to have to look at. And the lesson and, is, you know, I have what I feel is a definitive sense and sensibility and a definitive persuasion. And it, just this past few weeks, I've watched the other ones, which I haven't. Watch, because when I sit down to watch that story, I want to, if I'm going to take the time, I want to watch the thing that I love. Yeah, yeah. I made myself watch those, and the, the lesson is they're great. Like, those are all pretty good. Mm -hmm. Even the Mansfield Parks, which aren't good, compare rather favorably to one another. They're just a little different yeah. in a few different yeah. ways. So it's it's kind of like you can't lose in a way. Right. We, we um, have a hard time finding a bad one. Yeah. Well, some, some ones that didn't make the list, uh, you know, that are, you know, we, we, we were going to, if we, uh, on a, you know, we were going to talk about maybe becoming Jane, which is not, you know, not, not a becoming Jane, Jane spectacular. Of course, it's not yeah. a Jane Austen. It's not an, it's not an adaptation, but it is, you know, it's, there are a um, lot of, sort of Jane Austen adjacent type projects yeah. out there. Some of which are awesome and becoming Jane, it might be my favorite. Yeah. And I'll just say quickly why that is, Joel. I know you wanted to breeze through this, but that's okay. Becoming Jane is great because it it is it. First of all, it gets we don't know any of this story of her life because it's just not available to us. But we do know some facts about the people oh, around her. Yeah, there you go. Um, we just you know certain things, so they've taken these things they know and they've crafted this Jane Austen esque forbidden romance story out of it which really follows all the tropes and has all the side players and all the things that we're used to watching in these stories. Mm -hmm. But it has the, it, unlike Jane, who really uh, let the last domino fall in just about all of her stories, th this thing just doesn't do that. This thing brings the harsh reality of the times to your door. And it does it in the most tragic imaginable way because it does it over a thing that, again, we as people living on the earth today can't possibly relate to well the guy's a lawyer right surely gets a job somewhere and this will be fine and people won't starve it, that's probably not true it, yeah and and what's so interesting about that is that that character and all of the details about him are a hundred percent real they well and Lori Lori fox's character as well the guy the yes, young yes. guy from her her neighborhood that she really was matched with theoretically yep. by all the people in her life yep. from when they were yeah, kids. I mean, that that's the only piece that is unverifiable is whether or not they actually ever considered eloping. Mm, right. Otherwise all of it is true. Yeah. So that's really interesting then. I mean, he even named his daughter Jane. Right. So, and Jane yeah. and her sister's, you know, true loves. There's that incredible tag at the end of the movie, and neither of them ever yeah. married. Um, becoming Jane is it's it it's Beautiful. the next best yeah. thing to a Jane Austen adaptation if you're going to sit down and watch a theatrical film without yep. question. Yep. Um, and other uh, Austen adjacent uh, uh, properties, Sanditon, um, and we have Death Comes to Pemberley. Uh, I liked. I was the only one here who thought that I was think, okay. Yeah. I 
I didn't dislike it. I thought it was interesting that Cassandra from Becoming Jane plays Elizabeth Darcy in Death Comes to Pemberley. It's a little I interesting. That. And and Ma Matthew Good, right? He or Matthew? Oh, yeah. No, Matthew Good, not not Dan. Dan. Right. I get I get yeah. them mixed up sometimes, but they're not the same. And then um, Dan and Stevens and Matthew Good are not the same guy, but yeah. they are kind of they're pretty much the they're same dude. But Lydia of their genre. Yeah. Um, Fitz Fitzwilliam Darcy Gentleman. I All right, Dana, you got two minutes. All right. So What's the pitch? Trilogy. It's a trilogy of books by a woman named Pamela Aiden, and it is Pride and Prejudice told entirely from his um, viewpoint. So okay. it's really interesting. He's got this kind of snarky um, uh, butler who serves him. He's not a butler. He's this groomsman who serves him, and they go on this incredible, the middle book is him trying to get rid of Elizabeth out of his mind because she refuses him at the end of the first book. And the second one, he goes to this house party and he's determined to fall in love. And that's where you really see a lot of this Northanger Abbey stuff. There's all this weird, crazy, crazy mysticism. The Irish are not, do not fare very well. They're totally <laughs> crazy. In it. And then, um, you know, then it's him seeing her at, at Lady Catherine's house. And it's so delightful. I, I find myself repeatedly wishing that I could watch Pride and Prejudice told like this. A merge it, of both it, maybe Austin. somebody will do it. Mm -hmm. Maybe BBC will do yeah. it. They'll need to it do a. Be, it would be very cool. They'll need to do a miniseries, but it, it's yeah. been my experience of late. If these things come out, if they're any good or popular, they they do get made into films. Yeah, it's a very fun series. Yeah, cool. Well, excellent. Um, is there any other Jane Austen stuff? There are. There's a to... bunch more, but we got to call any, it a day there. I got my we... I got my pet favorite in. She got hers, so we're covered. And I got clueless. So uh, <laughs> we talked about clueless. No, I'm fine with that. We I'm didn't talk about clueless. the zombies much, but no, and that's okay. I, I really did enjoy reading Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I thought it was a very that's an fun. interesting distinction. I haven't heard that before, but you both agree that it, it was okay read, but not well, a very good. It was a silly fun. It was a silly fun read. Uh, you know, it, it relies, I think, heavily on knowing the story beforehand. Oh, of course. So that so that the that's how the humor comes through, mm -hmm. and then um, the movie was just tragic, though. I Too did bad. not. Yeah, it's it. it's not good. It's not good. Um, all right. So, uh, if you do, you have a, a wonderful Jane a, a Jane Austen adaptation that we did not talk about. You, of course, can reach out to us at the Movie Show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook. Got any other ask, period romances you want me and Dana to talk about on future shows? Let that's us true. Know. Yeah, we'll do uh, it. And, there are still um, so many more. There's North and South, isn't there, Dana? There is North and South, and there's like. Thomas Hardy novels. And <laughs> there's Bonte a lot. Novels. There's a oh lot. Yeah. There's a on. lot where this came from. So we're going to have yep. you back. Don't worry. Yeah. So this will be, um, yeah, the, we'll get used to uh, the amazing um, look kind of purpley room and lamp behind. Cause I, I gotta say, Joel, I, I come into these conversations like the ladies are talking online or whatever. And I try and inject myself into them. Oh yeah. And this and that every, every time. And I don't think it's cause it's online. I think it's cause I'm a guy. It, every time I'm not taken seriously, they think I'm making fun of them or something. Like, I can't actually talk about this stuff with people. It's not super cool for mm -hmm. somebody like me to be into romance costume dramas. It just I, I would agree with that. But they it are an absolute favorite genre of mine, without question. Yeah. I love it. It is it is something that that you know, as 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 a as a guy, it is you know, it is something that is often 
scoffed at. It's often right. used as a punchline. I mean, you know, and so. But the worst um, thing is that even the people who love them along with you don't really, that you're interloping on them. Well, I think by, by you know, trying to, <laughs> there's no easy think, way in to talk about this stuff. So, well, Dana, you ma ma like, made one of my dreams come true, and that we got to really talk yeah, about it, this I mean, substantively. It, you know, I got I got to think that you know uh, when when women are reading something and they feel themselves connecting to strong women characters, there's a great sense of ownership, uh, and they don't really want guys hoarding in on that. I can get, I get uh, it. I get so, it, but I do, uh, I do want to be, I do want to be we, invited to the tea party like every I once come, in a while. Come we, anytime. I loves <laughs> me the Bennett family. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I call Dr. Mary, Dr. Mary because of Jane Austen. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Much to his disappointment, but I wrote a whole blog post about it. I mean, come on. He's taken me to her home. I just like, I, how could I possibly mm -hmm. call him Maz when I could call him Dr. Mary? It's right. just, there's, sure. no, there's no topping it. Sure. There's that. And he gets uh, to have it all, right? He's Dr. Andrew Mas Mary, Dr. right? Andrew and Mary, yeah. It's all in there. Yeah. yeah. And He's, living in the gorgeous area of Fargo. Bucolic Fargo, North Dakota. Bucolic yes. Fargo. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, ask at Joel, uh, at Ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter and Instagram. The movie show, Joel and Ryan page on YouTube, which if you are watching this, you're already there. So you might as well just go down, hit subscribe and give us a like. Um, so uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Dana, love you. Love you so much. Thanks so much for coming. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.